Welcome to the Under Grace Podcast. This podcast covers everything of how Jesus Christ, Yeshua, God, or Jehovah relates to us. God represents all things holy, pure, righteous, just, praiseworthy. The list goes on and on. Every human is a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, the story doesn't end there. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Grace is undeserved, God-given help, offered to everybody for our renewal or purification or forgiveness. Still with me here? Great. Get ready to sit back and enjoy God's grace. This episode is going to be unlike any of my previous episodes. Bear with me here. This is a personal story. I've changed the names of various people for their privacy, but the story still remains the same. I hope that this speaks to someone and they can realize that God's invisible hand of providence was there throughout the entire time. Here we go. It was a Wednesday night. I had just finished a 12-hour shift at the hospital and arrived home at about 7.20 p.m. My energy was drained, and I was ready to spend the rest of the evening watching a movie and relaxing, until Olive, my kid's step-grandmother, called. She was returning from dropping off Emily, my ex-wife, at the airport and had the kids with her. Olive mentioned that on the drive back from the airport, My daughter Jane was in the front seat, and Tony, my son, was in the back. As any siblings would, they got into an argument. Tony ended up hitting Jane over the head with her 3DS game console that he thought was his. As a result, Olive told Tony that he wouldn't get any frozen yogurt. When they arrived in Littleton, a few miles from their mom and stepdad's house, they pulled over into the frozen yogurt place. Olive and Jane then went inside, leaving Tony in the car. This is where Olive went wrong. She didn't seem to think that leaving Tony in the car would lead to anything except for him feeling bad about what he had just done. I will mention here that my son Tony is highly functioning on the autism spectrum. Many people find this confusing because he doesn't present with many difficulties or problem behaviors. The only way that one could be aware of his autistic tendencies would be if they're trained in the field of ABA therapy and know what to look for. This is what I mean by high functioning. Anyways, back to the story. After they had gotten their treats, Olive and Jane came back out to the car to find Tony gone, of course. Olive then drove around the parking lot and up and down the street looking for Tony, but she still couldn't find him. This was when she called me. I told her to go home because that's where Tony might be heading. After making a few phone calls, I decided to drive down to the King Supers at the southeast intersection of Bellevue and Kipling where they last saw Tony and looked for him myself. At the time, I lived in Aurora, so I arrived there about 30 minutes later at around 8.45. I went inside the King Supers and asked the person at the service desk to page overhead for Tony. I couldn't sit still, so... I walked around the store looking for him, but couldn't find him. For some reason, I decided to go to the Safeway across the street and look for Tony there, too. 
I thought that maybe he might have gone there looking for a phone so he could call me. After walking around for a bit, I realized that he probably wasn't there. I had already made up my mind that if I didn't find him at Safeway, I would call the cops. This would be the second time Tony had gone missing. The first time was a few months before when he didn't show up for a meeting after school. As I was walking outside Safeway toward my car, I took out my phone and dialed 911. I relayed everything to the operator and then sat in the car waiting until the deputy showed up. After I told my story to him, he made a few phone calls and spoke to some of his fellow deputies over the radio. He had me text a picture of Tony to him that he forwarded to everyone else who would be working on the case. This parking lot in Safeway became known as the incident headquarters for the next three and a half hours. During that time, a total of about 10 Jefferson County Sheriff vehicles came and went, but the first responding deputy remained with me during the entire time. During the first part of the situation, a couple was getting into their car next to mine. The husband looked over at me, squinted his eyes, and said, Do I know you from somewhere? You look familiar. I looked over at him, made the same facial expression, and said, Do I know you from somewhere? The couple ended up being Trey and Paige Moore. Trey was a photographer who had worked with Emily, my ex-wife, at a wedding photography studio. Emily had started working there before we were married and had left a few years into our marriage. I hadn't seen them for 15 years. God had totally set up that appointment. If I hadn't gone to that Safeway, the Moores and I would have never seen each other. After catching up, I let them know what was happening and they immediately grew very serious and concerned. Trey said that they would drive around the neighborhoods and look for Tony. I texted them Tony's picture and we all got into a circle and prayed. Then they got into their car, promising to keep in touch. I was at a point of desperation and hopelessness. Never had Tony done this before. I was in a constant state of prayer, believing that God knew exactly where Tony was. I prayed that he would speak to Tony and bring him back home. I made a few phone calls asking for people to pray for Tony as well. Chris Ramirez, a high school friend of mine, was praying, my mom was praying, and so was my friend Nancy Fink, among others. During this time, many sheriff's vehicles came and went. I observed another one pulling up that was all white with no markings. A tall man in a green uniform emerged, and I thought I recognized him. He looked my way and started heading in my direction. As he got closer, I knew my suspicions were true. It was Jim Wilson. I had known him from a church I used to attend when I first moved to Colorado. Jim was also the man responsible for getting me interested in working for the Sheriff's Department. In 2004, I had entered the Jefferson County Sheriff's Academy, and Jim was one of the firearms instructors. He walked up to me with a big smile on his face. Jim Wilson? It's been a long time, sir. I said as he took my hand. He greeted me and we caught up on things. He had recently been promoted to lieutenant and apparently was in charge of the current patrol watch in that precinct. Dave, I want to let you know that we're putting everything we have into finding your son, Jim began. All of our resources are being put into this. 
We have about 25 deputies driving around the neighborhoods looking for him. We have deputies on bikes, and we even have a dog handler. We've also put out a Code Red alert. This will go out to everybody's cell phones who uses Code Red. I've been through similar situations before, so don't worry. We've got this under our control. I was at a loss for words, so I simply nodded and said, thank you. Jim nodded too and smiled with confidence. He then turned around and headed back to his vehicle. After several steps, he seemed to have recalled something, turned around and looked at me again. You know, every time I drive past the cemetery where your older son is buried, I think about that moment. I want you to know that he is never forgotten and your son Tony isn't either. We're doing the best we can to find him. During Sheriff's Academy in 2004, Emily and I had lost our first son, Philip, late into the pregnancy. I remembered during the funeral that Jim Wilson was the only representative there from the Sheriff's Department. As it was snowing during that cold day in the middle of May, there Jim was standing in his short-sleeved Sheriff's uniform, shivering in the frigid air. He didn't care, though. He was there to support us, and it meant a lot. I looked up at Jim as tears began to flow down my face. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. I managed to choke out. I couldn't contain myself, so I turned around and walked back towards my car. Jim, too, started to tear up as he turned around and headed back to his deputies. I stood there by my car, hanging my head in utter despair at the situation. I knew that God was there with me. He had just set up divine appointments by sending Trey and Paige, and now Jim Wilson, three people I hadn't seen in 15 or so years. It was God's way of saying, I'm here, I see your desperation, and I'm sending people who know exactly what they're doing. I know where Tony is. Believe and trust in me, and he will be found. If I wouldn't have gone to that Safeway to look for Tony, Trey and Paige would have never met me. How amazing was that? I was confident that God knew exactly what he was doing and would speak to Tony in the moment wherever he was. I called Olive, who was at home, and asked to speak to Jane. Hello? came the worried response from Jane. Jane, I want you to know that the Sheriff's Department is doing all they can to find Tony, I reassured her. I then repeated to her almost exactly what Lieutenant Wilson had told me. I comforted her and told her that Tony was probably heading for home. It would just take him a while to get there on foot. I prayed with her and let her know that I would see her later that evening after Tony was found. After the phone call, I felt a lot better and more hopeful. It was then that I saw a woman approach me from Safeway. I had never seen her before, but she walked right up towards me like she had something to say. Are you the father who's looking for his son? She asked out of concern. Yes, I said, wondering if she had any new information about him. I just got a code red alert on my phone about it and saw all the sheriff's vehicles here in the parking lot. Is there anything I could do? I explained to her that the sheriff's office was doing everything they could to find Tony. There really was nothing else she could do except to pray. I said this last part not knowing if she was of Christian or if she even believed in prayer. I just said the first thing that I could think of. 
Her face seemed to light up at the mention of the word pray. I would love to pray for your son, she said. I'm a dedicated Christian, and it would be an honor to lift him up in prayer. Right then, she put her hand on my shoulder, and we prayed in that dark parking lot. Here we were, two people who had never met before, but we were bound together by our faith in God. It was so powerful and reassuring. Here was, yet again, somebody that God had sent my way to let me know that I was not alone in this. After she concluded her prayer, she asked if she could call several of her friends at church to pray for Tony. Of course, I said. She said some more words of encouragement and smiled and turned away. About this time, another woman approached me from the cluster of sheriff's vehicles. She shook my hand and introduced herself as Judith Lopez from the Victims Advocates Unit. She was basically a liaison between me and the sheriff's department. She asked if I had any questions or if there was anything else she could do. I relayed to her about everything that had happened that night. She nodded, put in a few words here and there, but basically listened. We were idly chatting for a while until the first responding deputy approached us. I have some great news, he said with a smile. Judith and I waited in anticipation for what he was about to say. We found your son. I was just about to run over and give the deputy a hug, but I restrained myself. He's at his mom's house and is safe and sound. Just give me a few minutes and I'll let you know when you can go and meet him. If Judith and I had known each other well, we would have embraced right there in a heartfelt hug. Instead, she smiled at me and said, Well, that's great news. This is one of those cases that ends well. I'm so glad they found your son. Several minutes later, they allowed me to drive to Emily's house where Todd was. I had already called in sick for work the next day, so I was planning on staying the night there. When I arrived, there were two sheriff's vehicles and a dog handler vehicle parked on the street. I entered the house and was about to speak to one of the deputies when Emily called. I updated her and let her know that Tony had been found and that I would call her back later. This also reminded me to call the Moors, who had been driving all around the neighborhoods looking for Tony. They were ecstatic about the news. Mr. White, the dog handler said from behind me, is it okay if you bring Tony down from his room? My dog's been tracking him all over the neighborhood and has led us back to this house. She's getting pretty apprehensive because she hasn't found him yet. Could you go upstairs and get him for me, please? I understood the situation and went upstairs to get Tony. I lightly rapped on his door and explained to him that the dog needed to smell him in order to know that the mission was complete. Tony slowly opened the door and emerged from his room. His head was hung down and he had a scowl on his face. I could have scolded him or responded angrily. However, all I could do was embrace him in a hug. I'm so glad you're safe, son. I felt like the prodigal son's father after he had returned home. As I spoke these last words, a sob came out of nowhere, and I just clung to him in a heartfelt hug, grateful that he was safe. I thanked God for protecting Tony and bringing him home. We descended the stairs, and the dog handler had Tony stand out in the front yard in between two deputies. She got her dog out, who proceeded to sniff around the street and the yard. She eventually approached one of the deputies, but continued sniffing. Finally, she approached Tony, looked up at him, and then sat down. 
The dog handler gave her a treat and praised her for a job well done before leading her back into the car. The handler then told Tony that he could go back to his room. Apparently, she and her dog had been woken up that evening to join the deputies in their search for Tony. Her bloodhound was usually used to search for cadavers and runaways, so they were just doing their routine job. With their mission completed, they drove off back to home for a good night's rest. With Tony back in his room, I spoke to the remaining two deputies. Deputy Reeves explained to me that he had spoken to Tony about the situation, but he didn't seem to grasp the seriousness of it. I'm sure you'll talk to him and let him understand this was a big deal. These situations don't always have a good ending, he explained. I thanked both deputies, shaking their hands and looking into their eyes with the unspoken gratitude I didn't have words for. As they drove off, I went inside. I was tired and spent both physically and emotionally. It was close to midnight, and I had been up since 5.15 that morning. Tony had been missing for four hours. Jane and I slept on the couch bed that night. I had very restless sleep, too. I felt like I needed to be there just in case Tony attempted to escape and leave the house. I didn't know what was on his mind. I had no idea what caused him to walk home and leave so many people worried. That next morning, Olive took Jane to school. Tony was in no mood to attend the last day of school, so I let him sleep in. We did, however, have our talk after he woke up. I sat on the floor in his room while he laid in bed. I explained to him that the sheriff's department had put everything on hold to look for him. I explained to him about the code red alert that went out and that he was considered as a runaway teen. Despite everything I said to him and how much I tried to convince him of the seriousness of the situation, he selfishly internalized everything and blamed it on everyone else. If Jane wouldn't have been such an idiot about the 3DS and let me play it, this wouldn't have happened. Or if Nana, his step-grandmother Olive, would have let me have some frozen yogurt, I wouldn't have walked home. His excuses were born out of frustration and were unfounded. In his selfish, autistic mind, Tony had every right to walk home because he felt overwhelmed and upset. According to him, he had taken the back roads to his mom's house so nobody could find him. He had actually arrived at Emily's house as I was pulling into King Supers. He waited across the street for Olive to arrive. When she did, he watched her and Jane walk inside. He still waited for them to notice him. When they didn't, he snuck behind the house and entered through one of the window wells in the basement. He then sat there playing video games during the entire time the sheriff's office was looking for him. If someone would have just simply gone to the basement, they would have seen him, I thought. Finally, Jane decided to look downstairs, and lo and behold, there was Tony sitting on the couch. She then went upstairs to inform Olive while Tony followed behind her. He continued up the stairs to his bedroom, and that's where I found him when I arrived. I could tell that he was seriously overwhelmed and stressed out, not just by that situation, but with his home life at his mom's and with school. Instead of punishing him or taking something away as a consequence, which I really wanted to do, I decided to make it a restful day for him instead. We spent the morning walking around the mall. We got milkshakes at McDonald's and spent some good quality father and son time. I listened to him and he listened to me. 
We laughed as we remembered some funny things about our past. It was an all-around good day for him. He was able to unwind, relax, and let loose, which was exactly what he needed. Now the summer was ahead of him. He had a few more baseball games left, but the rest of that season should be stress-free until school started. Tony and I spoke about a week afterwards and agreed that if he felt like he needed to be alone and away from people, he should talk to me or his mom and agree on a place where he could sit and unwind. He actually was able to express his need to be alone one time when he was feeling overwhelmed. He put all his emotions and feelings aside for that moment and told me he just needed to take a walk. Instead, we agreed on a place where he could sit that was within my eyesight. It took that scary moment of Tony going missing for four hours for things to improve. I prayed that in the future he would continue to express his emotions when he got overwhelmed. He couldn't just walk off without anybody knowing where he was going. In his mind, he knew exactly what he was going to do. However, because he was only 13, he needed to express to those in authority where he was going and why he needed to be alone. Well, that's the end of my story. I hope that this spoke to someone out there who has been in a similar situation or that this revealed that God is always right by our side and will intervene at just the right moments. This story did end well and Tony was found. However, not every story does. I mentioned that my ex-wife and I had lost our son, Philip, a story for another episode. Even now, after almost 19 years, I haven't fully grasped the reason why God took him away. However, I'm still content that he is sovereign and that he loves me. I will end this episode with three scripture verses from the English Standard Version Bible that have brought comfort to me during many dark moments when I didn't know what step I was going to take next. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Deuteronomy 31.8 It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Under Grace Podcast. If you have any questions, ideas for future episodes, or would like to drop me a line, please email me at theundergracepodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at undergracepodcast and Twitter at ugpodcast316. Now go forth and live your lives under God's never-ending grace. Grace.